We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome back to another episode of the Top Dogs Podcast here on the Field of 68 Media Network. My name is Rob Doster, and I have with me today one of the best-dressed guys that you're going to see covering college basketball and the best hair you will find anywhere covering the sport that we all love, the one and only Jeff Borzello from ESPN.com. Jeff, it's great to see you. It's not great to see that ball over your left shoulder, but it is what it is. I guess I got to deal with it. I wish I knew you were going to team me up as best-dressed. I'm wearing it. A Delaware Blue Hens T-shirt. I wish I would have like worn like something with a collar or something, just to maybe a bomber jacket. But I don't know. I just I just wish you had told me you were going to introduce me like that. Hey, look, don't worry about it, man. Because when uh, when Goodman's on here, at least you have like the T-shirt with the neck that is like this. Because Goodman's normally got the turkey neck that's hanging down like this. Well, I, I knew I knew this part would be showing, so I was like, all right, let me get my the best the best collar of T-shirt I have. Smart. Did he, smart. Didn't he have a, Didn't he have like an Eagles jersey on recently? Yeah, he wore an Eagles jersey last night on the show oh, and quizzed okay. every single person. You're, so you're a big football guy. He quizzed yeah. every single person on what uh, what what shirt it was, right, or what jersey it was. It was number 31 from the Eagles. He said it was the best running back in the history of the franchise. Do you have any idea who it was? 31? 31. You're never going to get it. I don't. I mean, I assume Brian Westbrook was the best running back in the history of the franchise. He was 36. Yeah, it wasn't Brian Westbrook. Who's 31? Wilbert Henderson or something oh, like God. that. Oh, God, here we go. What did he play? <laughs> what did he play when Goodman was a kid in the 1950s? No, I have no idea. It uh, it seemed like a made-up name. I'm pretty sure that he just went out and – you know how you can order the jerseys and get whatever name you want in the back? <laughs> <laughs> I think he just did that and made somebody he up. Made up a name because he made knew none of, us, none of us would look it up. That makes sense. Yeah, because he wants to pretend to be an Eagles fan now. So what? it is what it is. Really? That's- yeah, he's, he's, he's not with the Patriots. He's moved on. He's trying to pretend he's an Eagles fan. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't get it. Look, I deal with this guy every day. I do not understand him one little bit. You we know all that? appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, I took that that pressure off you, huh? We did. How much, we did. How much nicer is it that you don't have to hear from him every single day? I don't get daily phone calls anymore. <laughs> I do. My, day, my days are freed up. I do. For anybody listening right now, when uh, when when Goodman calls you, he'll call you and he'll just immediately start talking like it's the middle of a sentence. Yes. Like you haven't like you have it like something was happening and, and uh, he immediately picks up the conversation from there. And then he'll say what he has to say. He'll stop and he'll say, what else? What else? What else? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Instead of being like, all right, I got to go. There's nothing. Yeah. He'll be like, all right. So what else is going on? What else? Like, 
what else? <laughs> What's going on in college basketball? I don't know, man. It's February, so there's a bunch of stuff going on. All right, so this isn't actually the roast of Jeff Goodman. Uh, we brought you on <laughs> for two reasons. One, to kind of talk a little bit about UConn, and uh, I'm going to call it a mini resurgence. I don't know if it's a full resurgence yet, but that was a pretty impressive, pretty impressive win over Marquette. Uh, you also went up to Stores, Hartford. Where were you? Stores. I was in Stores for three days. Um, so I guess a little back. So I, I I planned the trip when they were unbeaten and they were pushing for number one, all very excited. And then um, in between the time that I planned it and the time I went, they had lost to Xavier and Providence. And so I was like, mm, this is not an ideal time to be here. But the thing was, so, you know, the perception of, of Dan Hurley and his activity on the sideline in a couple of games before I went, it did not seem like he was the happiest person on the planet. And so I'm going into the story. I, the, the plan was for me to write this story about kind of UConn's resurgence, a great season. And I'm going there on a two game losing streak. So I'm there. I'm like, all right, well, I don't even know if like they're going to want me at practice. They're going to want me to, you know, all you know, be around the program for two days, three days. And I go to practice and Hurley comes out in no shoes. He's just wearing socks. And I'm like, okay. I was like, why is he not wearing shoes? And I know he's like very Zen and, and all that. And, um, so I'm like, all right, maybe he's like, you know, doing like the whole grounding thing. Like you just want your feet on the ground, no shoes. But I'm like, if he coached the entire practice with just socks on. And so I'm like, all right, well, this is, this is not the behavior of someone who's in like a terrible mood and is, is really angry at the world. Like he'd probably be wearing shoes if he was so angry. And that kind of just snowballed into like, you know, here's this, this guy that on the outside during games, he's just like, you know, the perception is that he's always just angry at referees and he's all this. And, but when the camera's not on, he's just like a very, you know, not low key, but he's more mild mannered. Like I said, he's very Zen. He's coaching no shoes. Um, the background of the no shoes thing, he he said it was the, the original message was like, all right, we lost two games on the road. We're now back at home. You know, we're in a comfortable environment. What do you do when you're home and you're comfortable? You take your shoes off. He said he only planned on doing it for like five minutes. And then he just liked how it felt to have no shoes on. So he just went the entire two and a half, three hour practice with no shoes. And I was like, all right, this guy's, this guy's very different than what we see on the sideline. Yeah. It's actually, it's funny when you, when, when you listen to people talk about him because of the way that he acts towards referees and the way that he behaves when he's on camera. Um, and then you actually have a conversation with the guy and he's yeah. very, just kind of like quiet and nonchalant mm -hmm. and very, uh, very thoughtful with the words that he's saying. Right. And it's just kind of like, yeah, this is a super laid back dude. You know, maybe yeah. he took an edible or two before this interview. Well, I mean, I've known him since he was, he was at St. Benedict's prep when I used to do like all sorts of recruiting. And was so I knew. Yes. I mean, he was always, I mean, I also knew who his dad was because his dad was coaching when I started covering recruiting. And so his dad is not as calm and all that, not during games, but like I knew Dan was like fairly calm when he's not coaching and, he's, and referees are not making suspect calls, but it was just kind of uh, illuminating to just kind of get the, you know, just sitting in the office with him for, for an hour and just like seeing the books that he has and hearing just why he decided to, or why he knew he had to kind of change and stop putting the, you know, stop letting a win or a loss affect a hundred percent of his life. Um, and, you know, just the, the reaction I've gotten from other coaches once the, since the story went up was that it, it resonated with a lot of them in terms of, you know, you can't let one loss just let you 
kind of stew, you can't stew over one loss for days and days and days. Um, you know, you have to live your life. Um, you know, there are things outside of, of basketball and, you know, you're, if, if you're going to live and die with every winner or loss, you're just not going to survive in, in college basketball all that long. How did you get him to open up like that? Because it was, I know Norlander did the piece. Uh, he wrote something on him when he was at Rhode Island and he was uh, very upset when I was like, oh, I've never seen Dan, uh, Dan Hurley open up like this. He texted me. He's like, do you remember this story? Like, yes, Nordy, I remember it. Okay. I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm tweeting over here. That was five years ago. I can't remember what I had for lunch yesterday. Relax. Um, but how did you get him? Was that, was that his plan? Did he just kind of open up to you? Like, how, how did you, how did that kind of go about? Well, it's funny. So the next day, when I, right before the Creighton game, um, yeah, our guy John Fanta was there, and I, he was like, he was like, "Oh, what are you, what are you writing while you're here?" And I told him, I was like, "Hey, I talked to John Fanta. Was there. John Fanta's always there. He, oh, he is always there." So I was like, "Well, yeah, I talked to, I talked to Dan yesterday, and he told me this, and he talked about his relationship with referees, and he's like, he's never really, I've never heard him say that before." And I was like, "Really?" He's like, "Yeah." He's like, "I just feel like people are afraid to ask him about this stuff," and I was like, "Oh." I don't know. I just straight up asked him. I, I, you know, I said, you know, you know, when he, when he gave me the whole, I'm not a victim or I know I'm not the victim quote about the referees. I just, I said, I was like, you know, you've had a couple of, you know, viral run-ins with officials in the last couple of weeks. Like, you know, what's going on there? I just, I don't know. I didn't, I didn't really think that nobody's asked him that. I just figured you know, I had the chance. If he says, Hey, I don't, I don't want to talk about this or I don't want to talk about how my attitude toward this has changed since I was a high school coach. He would have said that. But, you know, he, he answered that. And then, I don't know. I, I, do, I do think that the – I don't know if he expected – because I know he's you – know, I've texted with him since the article came out, and he said that he's heard from other coaches too who said that the story kind of landed with them. Um, and so, obviously, I don't think he planned that. But um, I do think it, it probably helped to um, – help people to see him in a different light. Yeah, the the biggest thing for me was he was talking a little bit about, you know, the, the anxiety that goes into it yep. and – the the stress that he he deals with being like look he's super competitive it's probably mm-hmm. like the kind of thing where he's competitive to a fault right yeah. which is i mean you want that in in an athlete and someone playing some of these games but that can be something that can kind of weigh on you um actually my favorite transition that you had in the story was uh, you were talking about like one of the books that that he had on his desk and it was like um i can't remember the title of it it was like how to how to turn self-doubt into self-belief or something yeah, along those lines. Like that, yeah, yeah. And the immediate next next line was Dan Hurley showed up to practice without shoes. <laughs> yeah. like, what? But yeah. quick backstory on that. That's not the first time that he's done that. We had, uh, I think it was Tyree Smartin on here. And I was, uh, I asked him what was the craziest thing you've seen Dan Hurley do in a game. And he goes, yeah, he used to come to practice with just socks on. So like, this is a thing. This is yeah, a thing I mean, that he a, does coaching. Socks. I think, I think people lose sight of like, think about, his family and where he came from. Like his dad was one of the most successful high school coaches of all time, like rarely experienced losing. He himself was like an incredibly successful high school coach, rarely experienced losing. And then he goes to college and he goes, I think obviously his first job was what Wagner. Mm -hmm. And it was like, they lost a ton of games. I mean, that's a, a huge kind of transition where you're, you know, the guy that you model your coaching career after rarely loses you've never, you've rarely experienced losing and then something you're losing every game. And it's just, I mean, that's an adjustment. Um, and so you can kind of see why or see how one can kind of get consumed by we're never going to win another game or, you know, this loss is the worst day of my life, that sort of thing. 
Yeah. And, you know, when he got to Rhode Island, they got their brains beat in at the start. Yeah. And they ended up building that thing up. Six years later, they, they were a 10 seed, 7 seed. They were 7 seed when they played Trey Young. Yeah, seven yeah. Seed. Um, Same thing at UConn. You can kind of see that trajectory uh, growing a little bit. So let's let's start with this. Big picture, you cover recruiting. You're from the yeah. Northeast. You kind of you know what UConn's history is. You're a UConn fan. Yeah, so you you had you had a sense of like what this program is and what it means yeah. to people in this area, um, and you also have a sense of kind of what the perception of it is nationally. So how do you how do people kind of view where UConn is right now? How do they view where it's trending? Because I my personal feelings are I think that they are somewhere in like the top fifteen range in the country, like top fifteen, top twenty, and that it's if you just look at how it's growing, it's not like there's no hills and valleys, right? It's mostly just an upward trajectory. And I'm very excited to see where this thing can go. If he keeps recruiting the way he's recruiting, keeps getting the guys that he's getting. I mean, Stefan Castle's coming in. Um, the, the, uh, who's the kid from Baltimore, the lefty solo ball ball. Yeah. balls coming in. Like, so I, I'm excited about where this program's trending. I think it's going in the right direction. I don't know how anyone can be complaining about this. Is that how UConn is kind of viewed? What, where, where do you stand? Yeah, I think that's accurate, and I think I, I didn't realize this. So in my in the story, I wrote that UConn's not like a classic blue blood, and they're not. But there was some reaction from from UConn Twitter that like, what more do they have to do to be a blue blood? But I think the difference between them and you know your Dukes, Carolinas, Kansas, Kentucky's like those aren't easy jobs. Like you know, no job is easy, but like those jobs are built to win really quickly. Um, you know, obviously, you know, Shire and Hubert Davis, it hasn't been, you know, a seamless transition, but those jobs are built to win. You're expected to win 25, 30 games immediately. UConn's a little different. I mean, you know, they didn't have a practice facility until what, like nine years ago. Um, it's not in a talent rich area. Um, and so I just think that it's it's hard. I mean, it's not easy to win there. I don't think anybody can just walk into UConn and win 25 games off the bat. Um, and so I, I, but I do think it's probably in the top 15, top 20 range. I think it's good that Hurley has become a little bit more open to the transfer portal. Um, you know, I, I think for a couple of years there, he tried to, say, you know, I think he wanted to get freshmen in, develop them, and just have kind of program guys. I do think he probably realized, hey you know, in order to kind of win and, and hit the ground running every single year, we're going to need experienced college players. Um, but the recruiting class next year is really, really good. I do think that the success they've had with a couple of transfers um, and I, you know, they're going to go back into the portal this spring for somebody. Um, Jordan Hawkins is probably going to be a first roundish pick. Um, you know, Sonogo is going to compete for Big East player of the year. I, I think that the, the momentum, like you said, I think it's clearly on a, an upward trajectory. And I think it's a lot of it has to do with the individual players. I think it has to do with the winning. I mean, this is the best team per Ken Palm that they're going to have in, in since like the Calhoun days. Um, and, and so I think it's hard to say that uh, the momentum is not going anywhere but up. Yeah. Yeah, I get frustrated. You probably you're not in the weeds on UConn Twitter like I'm I've been up in the weeds on UConn Twitter. But like anytime that there's a set that doesn't work or they have like a bad four minute stretch, there's just all these different accounts that come out saying oh, we got to get rid of Hurley. He's not the guy. I'm just like, do you remember four years ago when you didn't care? Right? Do you remember four years ago when I mean, they were the attendance? 500? The attendance was like, I mean, the early Hurley days, the late Ollie days. I mean, they were it was not good. And no. now you're now it's now it's the. Gamble's packed, and I'm assuming the XL Center's packed. I wasn't there, but 
the fan base is rejuvenated. That's a good word to put it. Rejuvenated. They care. Like that's the big yeah. thing is you care. Like right. no one five years ago, no one would have been complaining about anything. Right. No one would have been saying, We gotta fire this guy, we gotta fire that guy. They would have been like, Ah, UConn lost again. All right, let me go find out what's on Netflix. Let me go see what's streaming on HBO Max. Mm-hmm. So you I mean uh, you want your fan I mean, you know, if you're Dan Hurley, you probably don't want to go on Twitter and see people complaining about every set you run, but you want people to be passionate about you. I think that's a good sign. Yeah, you gotta <laughs> You had to be able to compartmentalize that. You, you can't yes. you can't look at the critics, man. It's just you lose your mind if you do. Um, so you mentioned we, we talked about the Marquette game, right? Um, I'm I'm kind of torn on how I feel about this because on the one hand, it was nice to see them actually show up and play. On the other yeah. hand, I think that the way that that the the score line looks has a lot to do with the fact that UConn had one of those games where they just didn't miss, and Marquette mm-hmm. had one of those games where two of their three best players were saddled with two fouls in like the first five minutes of the game. And when you do that in front of 16,000 people in the XL center, yeah. like sometimes you're going to get run out of the gym. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Yeah, I mean, I think it was, it was, I mean, I think the biggest thing for me was, I mean, Marquette has thrived in Biggie's play, at least on just, they crush you in the turnover battle. They force a lot and they don't turn it over at all. Now the final numbers against UConn, they had a pretty big edge, but in the first half when UConn built that lead, I think the halftime numbers were like, UConn had seven turnovers and Marquette had five or something like that. I think points off turnovers was were even at halftime. Mm-hmm. And I mean, when UConn's up by 16, 18, it doesn't really matter what Marquette's going to do in the second half. And, you know, UConn's probably not going to blow that lead given the way they were playing, the way they were shooting. So I think that was pretty big, given that in some of those losses, they had pretty severe turnover issues. Um, but, I mean, I, I think, and, and I'm, you know, I'm not breaking news by saying this, but, like, I think the play of Tristan Newton has been pretty enormous over this late run. Um, you know, really going out on a the ledge there, huh? The guy that had, yeah. like, 20 and three straight games. Right. Just had well, I'm saying, like, You're saying I he got better? When they were losing – I. You know, it's not – they don't have a ton of guys I'll that are going to take Borzello. That's what I'm going to start calling you from now They're on. not going to break <laughs> down guys off the bounce. Like, they just they don't have a ton of guys that will do that. 
So a lot of it is, you know, Jordan Hawkins is going to have to play well, but he played well in some of those losses too. He had 30 something against what was it? St. John's. Mm -hmm. So like he, he needs other guys to do stuff. So needs other guys to do stuff. And Newton has been that, you know, in those, in that, you know, five or six game lull that they had his numbers, he was averaging six points and three assists a game. You know, you he just can't do that. And in the last six, he's averaging 15, five and five and shooting 40% from three. And I, I just think that him stepping up as a playmaker, him being able to at least get by his guy and, and put the defense on its back foot. I just think that's been huge. And, you know, they got some from Naheem Haleen. I don't know. I, I just, I just think that, you know, obviously if they shoot 53% from three or whatever they shot, they're going to win the majority of their games. But I just think that they're finally putting some more pressure on the defense. They're finally getting some play off the bounce. They're finally getting something from the supporting cast. Um, and, you know, three of their four wins in this little stretch have been against subpar competition. But uh, I don't know. The, the first half they played against Marquette was the best I've seen since uh, the run in Portland. So mm -hmm. I'd be optimistic moving forward about their chances. Yeah, it's it's a lot of it's Tristan Newton. To me, a lot of it is that uh, they're kind of figuring out how to make Andre Jackson work. Um, I don't mm -hmm. know. I don't know how much you paid attention to what I've said about him, but uh, it's to Very me. Little. I, I don't really pay attention to you. Yeah, it's smart. Just kidding. Um, it's it's a it's it's a head it's a mental thing with him like he kind of he lost his confidence I don't know if yeah. you want to call it the yips or whatever it is but uh, when defenses stopped guarding him and just kind of stood literally twelve feet off of him and said go ahead shoot that that's the shot we want mm -hmm. uh, I think it messed with him a little bit um, when he wasn't playing confident he wasn't doing what he does on the defensive end wreaking havoc grabbing rebounds and just taking off and going. Uh, and I think that getting him back to where, you know, there's T Vince's still aren't guarding him, but he's playing with more he, confidence. Yeah, he, like, and he also, I mean, he can't pass them open shots. I mean, there, there's value in a guy just shooting, even if you're missing those shots, if they know you're going to shoot it, they're going to have to at least respect you a little bit and go out and guard you. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, and I mean, he's still not shooting a ton of threes, but if he can shoot a couple when they're open, you know, it's going to make the defense think twice about standing 12 feet off of you. Yeah. Um, and, and so I just think that him not passing up open shots and, and at least saying, Hey, if I, if I miss this, I miss this, but I'm going to shoot it. I think that's a step in the right direction. Yeah. Shoot it with confidence. Believe you're going to make it. Even if you miss yeah. it, all you got to do yeah. is make a defense respect you and have to run out, uh, run out and guard you. Um, where, how do you, so they got Creighton coming up on Saturday, but yeah. how do you, where, where do you think this team stands kind of in the national perspective, right? We're looking at a team that beat Alabama, beat Iowa state beat Oklahoma State, one half, like put together some really impressive wins uh, throughout November and December and then just kind of lost it. So do you, when you seed them, are you saying like, okay, this is a team that could maybe get a two seed or a three seed if they have a, a nice hot run down the stretch? Like where do you, where do you kind of view them? Because I know you, you probably look at resumes more than anybody that isn't Joel Lenardi. Yeah, I mean, so I was looking at it last night because in my power rankings, the way I do it, I do it mostly based on resume. And I, I didn't really have them in the top. I think I had them 19 or 20 this week. I'm like, you know, they, they had a bunch of losses. Those wins were back in November, blah, blah, blah. Compare them to Marquette now, who I had as a three seed going into the week. I think most people probably had them as a three, UConn as a five. I don't really know if there's an argument to have Marquette over UConn anymore. Um, you know, I know they're three games ahead of them in the Big East. Right now, that's been an unbalanced 11 game. I think it's 11 games they've played so far. They have not played the same schedule. If they're three games ahead come the end of the season, maybe that's more of a factor in the committee's mind, but they're not really supposed to take that into account. But like UConn is ahead of them in every metric. 
They're ahead of them in the net. They're ahead of them in Ken Palm, BPI, Sagarin. I think they're about even in the kind of resume-based metrics. UConn, like you mentioned, they've beaten Alabama. They've beaten Iowa State. They both have a quad three loss. UConn has more um, quad one wins. They have the same amount of quad one and two. They have the same exact quad three, quad four record. And so you just go down the line and they split, the, they split heads ahead, right? So I just don't know if there's a, a feasible argument to say, hey, Marquette's a three, UConn's a five. Um, it just doesn't really make sense. And I know UConn, a lot of their resume was in the non-conference. It was back in November and December. That still counts. Mm-hmm. And I think they showed against Marquette the other day that, you know, they're not far off from that team back then. You know, you know, I don't know if they're going to run, go on another 14 game run where they don't lose. I hope they do. That'd be nice. <laughs> that would be, that would bring them into probably the end of the, that would probably win the NCAA tournament. No, that would probably get them to what the final four. Get them close. Yeah. Yeah. And so I'm just, I'm just, if you kind of stack up those resumes, they're not really far off from being, and if we're saying Marquette's a three, maybe a four now, UConn will, it should be in that range right now. And so if they keep winning and they make a little run in the Big East tournament, you know, it's, it's not far-fetched to say, hey, they're going to be a two or three in the East where they would get to play the regional at stores south, Madison Square Garden. And so, you know, I think they're still in good position despite the kind of month-long lull that they had. It's 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 kind of hard to wrap your head around, like when you're looking at it from the outside. But um, UConn played like ass for about five weeks, right? But you can't forget the fact that they were number one in every single metric that exists uh, at, for like a good three week stretch in December. There's like Alabama is is a team that everybody thinks is one of like the three national title favorites, right? UConn beat it by 14. Iowa State looks like a team that's going to compete for a Big 12 title. UConn beat them by 18 or whatever it was. So, um, even Oklahoma time, State game, I mean, that's that's like a Oklahoma, they're a top 30 team on Ken Palm, right? Like every every time that teams, game, watching that UConn Oklahoma State game, I don't think UConn kind of broke a sweat for 35 minutes. They never no. really got out of second gear or whatever, and they won pretty easily. And now yeah. Oklahoma State is one, I think, four in a row, and they're they're playing themselves into the tournament. That might turn into another, you know, marquee win by the by selection Sunday. Yeah. Um, you know, that non-conference resume. And if you and again, like Marquette's half of their, you know, their best win is probably what home at Baylor, home against Baylor. That was in November also. Like mm-hmm. you you can't just discount the first month and a half of the season because it happened then. That that still should hold equal. Or, you know, if you don't and and here's why, if you don't want those non-conference games to matter as much at the end of the season, teams aren't going to play them. They're Mm -hmm. not going to challenge themselves. So do you you want college basketball to only matter in February? Right. If you want to have great games in November and December, you got to make sure that if you win those great games, they count just as much as the games that you win. And and the committee has made it pretty clear in the past that non-conference strength of schedule is a huge thing. And so you can't say that on one hand while also saying Mm -hmm. what you did in November doesn't really matter. Um, and they've shown, I mean, the wins in, in historically, they've showed that what you do in the non-conference really does matter. And so I think that's going to help, obviously going to help UConn in a huge way, given that Alabama's probably going to be a one, Iowa State's probably going to be a top three or four seed. Marquette's probably going to be a top three or four seed. Oklahoma State will be in it. Creighton is trending toward being a top four or five seed. Um, I think this resume is pretty rock solid. So, all right, let's end it with this. You have... What's the one key that, that that Hurley needs to figure out? What's the one tweak that they need to make? What's the one thing that needs to happen for UConn uh, down the stretch of the season for them to end the year the way that they started the year? I'm not saying win a national title. I'm not even saying win the Big East tournament title. I'm just saying you're making runs. You're competing. You're going to be uh, a team that is a threat in every tournament that they play um, in March. 
Um, we've talked a lot about their offense. I do think there are some still concerning things defensively that they just need to tighten up. I think one of them is, and again, this is not a hot take, you know, they just need to rebound a lot better defensively. They've had a lot of games, even games they've won, where the opponent has, you know, gotten a ton of second chance opportunities. Now, some of that comes from kind of playing a smaller, you know, more three point oriented lineup. Um, but, you know, when they were kind of at their best in the non-conference, they were controlling the defensive glass. They were not getting – they were getting extra possessions because they were forcing turnovers and getting out in transition, which led to them not really being bogged down in the half court like they were for most of January. So I just think that's that's probably the biggest thing is kind of just, you know, shoring up their defensive rebounding, maybe forcing a few more turnovers so you don't have to play 60 possessions in the half court um, and just kind of let out – get out and run and, and use your – edge and athleticism and quickness and, and, you know, get a little bit more space for your three point shooters. Yeah. For me, it's three things. One, keep Tristan Newton hot yeah. to make sure that's that not a tweak, though. that's not a tweak. It's not a tweak, but it's something that they need to do. Um, two is keep playing Naheem Aline. What was it? Yeah. 22 minutes, 25, whatever it is, like get him going three and D guy and three, make sure Andre Jackson is still playing the way that he's playing. You want to talk about turnovers, get defensive rebounds. He's the guy that can create transition yeah. for all those opportunities. So, all right, Jeffrey, I appreciate the time, sir. I'll let you go. Uh, make sure you like, rate, review, subscribe, do all those good things. Make me happy as a podcaster. I'll see you at the Garden, Biggie's Tournament. I'll be there. All right, see you there, buddy.